Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things, and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I am joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. This one was so much fun. We got to sit down with Daniel Spencer, who we worked with before because he he designed our logo for Spitfire, the very first show we did together. I know, and it look, it's, still, it's still an adorable flame it is it's it's this uh very cute actually spitfire is going to be opening up end of june in chicago at lincoln lodge so if you guys are in the city please come out and see us it'll be last tuesday of every month but enough plugging for us because daniel spencer so good uh, he's a cartoonist for full frontal with samantha b for last week tonight adult swim and the onion i mean he, he's just a fantastic artist and human being uh he also has three albums on spotify with uh luke warm and the dead meats so definitely go listen to those they're fantastic what do we want to talk about today when this was so much fun today we talked about generations, specifically the delineation between boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, and how kind of millennials are aging out of being the cool ones. And I say aging out like we haven't already completed the process. Yeah, some of us are, are desperately holding on as, as long as we can. But no, it's fun. It has some interesting history, a lot of sociological implications that this probably turns somebody off right away. But somebody got very interested at the, at the mention of sociological in- implications. So guys, this, this was a lot of fun. Uh, it had some good history. We had a lot of personal experiences, millennials, and uh, we all pretty much agreed Gen Z is kind of killing it. Yeah. Oh, good work. Good work on them. Yeah. Thank you, Gen Z. Also, if my recording's a little muddled, sorry about this, guys. We're both recording on the road this week, so apologies in advance, but don't worry. The content is just the right amount of annoying wind shit that y'all been listening to every episode. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, so let's get into it. Let's do it. Daniel Spencer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So this is our first time meeting face-to-face. You helped us out years ago. Of course, I've been a, a fan of yours for a while. Likewise. Thank you so much. And when, when and I started our first show together, Spitfire, we came to you to design the logo, which is an adorable anthropomorphic flame that I still absolutely love. Uh, <laughs> so that was how we started to get to know each other. We should have named it, really. <laughs> we should have named it. I can't believe we didn't do that, actually. I think it would be a good contest for uh, user-submitted names. Yeah, that's good. We're going to have a, a 
prize here and you have to maybe pay to enter because we're pretty broke. <laughs> the winner gets a real flame. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to go burn your house down as a reward. Can you imagine if we like, we're going to sell naming rights to this flame and we're going to regret it immediately with sure. a max <laughs> bid of $5 names it fuck this show. Yeah. <laughs> God, we can't name everything Bodie McBurkface, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I do like how quickly that spiraled though. That was so well-intentioned. Like, oh, we're going to let him name a boat. And then I'm like, okay, guys, <laughs> immediately, none of you can handle this responsibility. When I was in college a hundred years ago, they built a new dorm and they made the mistake of letting the students name the building. So for two years in college, I lived in Fort Awesome, <laughs> which is why I want to talk about how millennials ruined that. Oh, that is fantastic. Here's the thing. My senior song, like the last song that everyone danced to at my senior prom that was voted on by the students was Aaron's party. <laughs> Every other year was something emotional. It was like, you know, uh, with a little help from my friends by the Beatles. I think every other year it was that Green Day song, Time of Your Life. Exactly. Yeah. It was the only one to deviate. But we were assholes and it was Aaron's party because we couldn't take anything seriously. Right. And there, there is absolutely this time period where you enjoy things ironically to the point that you enjoy them sincerely. Like, <laughs> no way did Fort Awesome be like, no, this is a good name. But by the time it actually got to be the name, I'm sure it was like, okay, this is a good name. Yeah, I, I have like, I have genuine sentimental attachment to to, Florida, to my time in Fort Austin. Yeah. <laughs> so many, I wrote so many of my first novels there, just hunched over my antique typewriter. <laughs> Just a winter recluse visit to Fort Awesome. So you could just block out the world. That was before the, the battle, but we took back our Fort Awesome. I think that ties in very well to our topic for today. Daniel, what did you want to talk about? I want to talk about millennials because I've been forced to reckon with my own mortality on a daily basis recently. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we, we got into some good generational information. There, there's a lot of history here that we're going to cover too. But yes, yeah, we are all millennials and this is a topic that is so consistently in the news that I thought it was a great idea. I thought this would be a really fun thing to talk about. Yeah, I, th I think it, it made me nervous to pitch it as an idea because my first thought, I was like, well, what do I like that was ruined? First of all, I, it was hard for me to think of a thing I like. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my first thought was like, oh, well, I used to like lobster. And then I saw a cooking show where they were like, they're pretty much cockroaches. And then I immediately stopped eating it. But that would have been the beginning and end of that conversation. Lobster's <laughs> really delicious. They're sea cockroaches. They're bugs. Don't, if you don't want to eat bugs, don't eat them. Welcome to our two minute mini episodes that we're going to start releasing. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just 45 minutes of us eating lobster. Set the sound of us eating lobster. Yeah. <laughs> Just turn this into an ASMR show that's super creepy. <laughs> I always think there should be more cooking podcasts where you just like hear things sizzling. Yeah. And then at the, and then at the end, somebody taking a bite and just going, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and then an ad for Squarespace. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted to talk about it because the, there were a couple of articles over the last few weeks that kind of got my brain trying to like decipher and quantify what it means to be a millennial. And that was a combination of like, even in the last week, like I saw Two, there were two articles going on. One was an, an interview in The Guardian with Tony Hawk. It was called like Tony Hawk's Last Trick. And it was about him being like, I'm pretty old. Like, I can't die on a skateboard now. So I'm just going to stop doing it. Which is reasonable. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like no one should fault Tony Hawk for this. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have to prove anything to me anymore. <laughs> 
he's collected skate. He's found the secret tape. He doesn't have to do any more things. <laughs> Lights out Gorilla Radio. And the other article that came out, I think, yesterday was um, an interview with Johnny Knoxville that was called Johnny Knoxville's Last Rodeo. Okay, that one definitely fucked with me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> right? It it really fucked me up. And it, I think it was called, yeah, it was called Johnny Knoxville's Last Rodeo. And it was pretty much the same sentiment. It's like, I'm 50 years old. The next time a bull gores me, I'm going to die. Right. <laughs> and I said out loud while reading it, Johnny, no, you, you're going to live forever. Yeah. <laughs> and that forced me to come to terms with the fact that one day I'm going to read that Johnny Knoxville died of natural causes. And I'm going to go, oh, did you hear Johnny Knoxville died? And one of my eight children, all named Dan Jr., will say, who is Johnny Knoxville? <laughs> I mean, and then the one that's named Johnny Knoxville will be like, remember, dad named him after me. <laughs> <laughs> you get back to your stunts. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is this. I mean, so I'm got to have to remember this every time. I'm 35 now. I'm about that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I constantly hit this point where I hear someone is like two years older than me. And I think, oh, that's old. For sure. Yeah. And then I realize I'm that age. <laughs> and it's like, that is, that's the same thing. I'll see a 36 year old and I'll be like, boy, when I, when I'm a grown up like you, I hope I'll have things figured out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm 29. I'm, I'm fresh faced. I'm, I'm clear eyed. Wow. Oh man. Yeah. So you can offer, you can offer some perspective on the other side. Yeah. I, I actually didn't realize that I was the baby of the group, Yeah, <laughs> which is a fun day for a grown man to refer to himself as. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, but the weirdest part to me is that it says it on your t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I just need everyone to know that I can't, no one can get mad at me. I'm able to do all the stupid things I want. And I could just be like, it was my twenties. And I can do that for like three more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you can do that until you're 35. Exactly. <laughs> you just blame everything on your twenties till you're 35. <laughs> Josh Gondelman, who we're, we're going to have on here in a couple of months. One of the top five best people in the world. He is. He's so good. I'm, I'm very excited about this. Uh, he has a fantastic podcast, Make My Day as well, that you should all check out. But on his album, Dancing on a Weeknight, he has this line about the uh, millennials being from this time period that you were old enough that you could find porn online, but young enough that you still had to research with hard copy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great joke. It is. It was It was a, a great joke. And he, of course, tells it better. But I also realized that was true, that that was it. I, you know, because the internet existed, but people didn't hadn't put everything up there yet. And if they did, you know how to find it. For sure. Yeah. And I, that was another one of those articles that I don't know if I'm using this word correctly, dropped uh, last week. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank God. Please think I'm cool. Uh, but it, uh, the term geri- the, the term geriatric millennial in that, uh, that Medium article, and it was specifically about people that were a little bit older than me knowing what it was like before the internet and after the internet. But I feel like I'm completely, like I I didn't become internet savvy until like much later. I I got a smartphone after college. I still feel like it's relatively new. Right. No, I mean, I I was basically an adult when I was having text messages where you still had to type with the little keyboard or use the three letter keys. We only had three letters back then. I knew some people that were just fucking incredible at that. Yeah. (laughs) Just people who were able to like really do that like T9 keyboard Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. Insane. There were girls that I knew that could just like they could type all of Moby Dick and record speed on that fucking <laughs> little flip phone keyboard. It was incredible. And yeah, I mean, I got the internet. I think I was eleven when we got it at, at my house. And then that was where you still paid for a monthly plan. You only had so many hours a month, and of course, one giant computer your family shared, where it took you know twenty minutes to upload or to to, to yeah get a single page to load. And yeah, obviously, like everything else, it is 
easier to learn things as a kid. This isn't like just the older generation isn't willing to learn technology. If you grow up with it, if you've been using a computer since you were four, you're going to be significantly better at it uh, and understand it more. Yeah. You, what's that that Batman quote? Like you were, I was born in the darkness. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you merely adopted the internet. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can do a better Bane than that, but. <laughs> that was pretty good. We're saving that for Batman episode. But I feel like I still marvel at the internet on a daily basis. Yeah. Or like, I'll just be like, I'll look up something and, and my brain still goes like, oh, there it is. Right. <laughs> there, was a, there was there was a look. Oh, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Just wow. The one that gets me is when you become so accustomed to it. And I hate when I do this. We're like, I can't find my keys. And I think, oh, I'll just Google it. For sure. And uh, then a lot I remember that. <laughs> a lot of that. I do a lot. Of, I do a lot of that's that. Also not, that's not something the internet knows. I, lo- I lose my phone a lot and I'll ask someone to call it to find it. And sometimes I'll say like, can you call my keys? Yeah. <laughs> like, just, like, Somebody call my socks. Oh, I do that one all the time. Also, I, I will say, I, I forgot. I wanted to remind, me, remind myself to say this before, right when we started, but I just want to warn listeners that or, and you guys if it, it ever reaches a point where this just becomes me being like when I was a kid things were different yeah <laughs> I, I really didn't want this to devolve into me just like complaining about how I'm completely lost technologically yeah <laughs> but please somebody help me please I think that's really relevant though is and this is something that they've found as, as they've researched generational studies well you guys want to get into the history of this a little bit yeah yeah let's dive on in so th- because this was interesting how there's things that are so consistent there are disagreements as to when each generation starts and ends. These are the ones I went with rather than give all the options. These are roughly agreed upon. So the first time generation was named was 18, those born in 1883 to 1900. This was the lost generation. Those are the ones that have fought in World War One. GI generation was 1901 to 1927. Can I just say that it like very bold to start naming your generations with the lost generation? Yeah, yeah. like that, <laughs> that show wasn't even on yet. <laughs> they started giving the name Names in like the early to mid 1900s. They just went back to the first generation of like, these were my, you maybe my parents were in this generation. We're going to start there. It sounds like they might have started with GI generation. And then they're like, what if we went further back? And they're like, they're just the lost generation. We forgot to name them. Right. <laughs> so uh, about the era they decide to go back to is also roughly the time when generation starts becoming a term that refers to the thing that we know it as today. Prior to this period, prior to 1863, a generation as a term pretty much only referred to familiar relationships. That was it. The idea of it referring to society wasn't a concept. Gotcha. So before it was just like your parents' generation and your grandparents' generation, and that's how they were measuring. No, more that it, generation didn't refer to a society. If, if you referred to generation, you were speaking strictly of your family. If you said generation, you meant your grandparents. Oh, gotcha. Right. It's a it's a relative term to you. They're in a different generation. Yeah, yeah which was, that, that was it. Generation just meant family. And social generation appeared more as a name for the concept when the French lexicographer Emile Letré defined a generation as all people coexisting in society at any given time. Can I just say points for you on that pronunciation? Thank you. I, I very much appreciate that. I, I was worried about that one. I'm glad I stuck it. What was interesting here, though, is this actually coincides with our Christmas episode, because this is almost exactly the same time period where they realized that children were different and not just small adults. Before this, if you were a child, you were expected to behave as adults wanted you to behave. Once you turn 11, you went and got a job in a coal mine. You died when you were 18, and that was it. It was a good system. Yeah. <laughs> it, it worked fine for years. So there's a lot that coincided here. What, what also happened during this time is 
is the Industrial Revolution. You have people becoming wealthy for the first time outside of inheriting money. Before that was it. If you became wealthy, it was because your parents were wealthy. Now with the opportunity to become wealthy independently or to at least make a living independently, there was an opportunity for rebellion. Before you wouldn't do that because you wouldn't get your parents' money. <laughs> you did what they told you to do. That was it. There was no opportunity to expand because if once you were 11, you went and got a job. Sure. My trick would have been is that I would have been really respectful to someone else's parents. Yeah, <laughs> just more respectful than them. If you went back in time, you'd be in like 19 wills. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it really opened up this, this interesting world where you've got social scientists saying at this time, we are recognizing the youth are different. This, this actually does begin the concept of the children are the future. You have children at this time who are now extending the period of childhood. At least those who are going to go on to white collar jobs are spending more time in education or more time in military service. It's not suddenly you're now a teenager, which means you're also an adult. And before that, you were being trained to act like an adult. So once children were allowed to be children and allowed to grow and allowed to form uh, their own identity, they saw very quickly that there was a large difference between generation, that the, the interpretation of the world was different. And what was also so significant here was because of the Industrial Revolution, what the parents knew was less relevant. You know, occasionally you'll still have someone say, you know, if you want a job, you just got to go to the office and show them it matters to you. And I was like, this was great advice. Until they either pay you to work there or pay you to stop. Right. <laughs> this was fantastic advice in 1960 and has absolutely no bearing now. And kids were finding this out on their own. They were out here and had to develop their own ideas. This is something you, you hear a lot too from first generation immigrants where they say, no, it's I had parents. I had parents that loved me, but their knowledge wasn't relevant. So it's a, a, amazing how even though they grew up in a country, their experience is completely different than their parents. Their parents' knowledge wasn't helpful to them. It's not that they didn't try or didn't care. It was just they didn't have any of this experience. It's a completely different bubble, for sure. Yeah. So just making sure, according to what you're saying, I shouldn't do what my mom said and just email Lauren Michaels that I am interested in a job. Yeah. Did <laughs> for, I think you should you should email Lauren Michaels, criticize the work he does, and then say that you could do it better. Oh, that's the one. Well, that, that's what you got to do. That's common sense. Yeah. When uh, I started in comedy, I got a, a very nice message from my mom uh, who said, you know, maybe something you could do is like write for late night. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of late night shows. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's 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 the goal. <laughs> I think that another uh, concept for a podcast would be to have comedians on to just read that their version of that email from their parents. Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember it's like, you know what? We were flipping through the channels and we saw this show, Game of Thrones. Maybe you could work on that. <laughs> well, and it was it was so well intentioned. It was just when you first introduced to comedy, I was like, oh, okay, so the jobs are stand up or you don't do comedy. And then it was like, oh no, no, this is this is what we're working towards. And that's, I guess, all. And again, I'll, I'll say this disclaimer: aside from being an old person who's out of touch, I'm I'm very aware that I'm in a very specific bubble within millennials. Sure, but I do think that part of the the wake up call for me in relation to Zoomers is that I feel like they, because of their relationship with the internet, had had all the steps earlier. Like when if you take something like comedy, like I I graduated school, I was like, yeah, I really like comedy. Uh, where do people do comedy? Well, I'm I'm closest to New York. There's a comedy theater in New York. I'll do comedy. Maybe I'll meet someone there. And then meanwhile, like someone who's five years younger than me knows who to tweet at, who right. to submit their scripts to, how to, what should happen between acts of their 
spec scripts, things that I thought that I would learn how to do in practice as an adult. Like they know all the steps. They have everything at their fingertips. And then there's generation before them that's just like making all their own content and putting it up on like TikTok and all that stuff. And I'm just like, no, no, what you're supposed to do is go to a theater in a major, in one of three cities. <laughs> one of those cities does not have any of the shows you want to work on. But everyone goes to that one. Chicago, by the way. You're supposed to work for three websites that make content and all three of them have to go under because they ran out of money. Yeah. But it's okay because you don't lose any benefits because you never had benefits because you were what some people call permalance. Yeah. <laughs> then after that... Work for the theater and what in exchange, they'll give you classes that you can go to. Will these classes help your career? Not at all. But you might meet someone in one of those classes that they could have a career and you could just ask them like, hey, can you put in a good word for me? And now people are just like, I just made a video in 20 minutes that has a million views and that is scary to me. And it's weird because I, when I see something like that, I feel like other generations, like a, a boomer will look at millennials in some facets and be like, what are you guys doing? That this shouldn't be this hard or you're, you're, you can do certain things better the way the things were like when I was a kid. But I look at these things that Gen Z makes, like their TikToks and videos, and they're the fucking funniest things in the world. Yeah. Like they're so funny and they're so simple and easy. And they remind me so much of like when I got iMovie yeah. and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you can do a cross dissolve. But if you, if you, if you make a still frame in the middle of a cross dissolve, you can kind of have a see-through person. Maybe there's something fun. And like just the way that they use TikTok and different, oh my God, I sound like a goddamn caveman. Yeah. The way they use these apps to kind of, to, to make the, to speak that language. Yeah. Is, is so impressive to me and to upload like a third 30 second video that's such a succinct, like idiosyncratic piece of comedy. And I just like, I just become a ghost. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go on like a slight, you know, sidetrack tangent, and then we'll get back to the history, I swear. But like the thing that's impressive about TikTok really in general, and like all that the knockoffs don't get is that it's not short little fun videos. It's basically having a very advanced video editing software in your phone, very accessible and easy to use. For sure. Yeah. I maxed out honestly at, at Instagram and then Snapchat came and I was like, I'm not going to learn this. And I just stopped. Yeah. <laughs> like there, there hasn't been an app since Instagram that I've like dove into. So yeah, the fact that somebody can use TikTok and it has so many more capabilities of like, like I fucking bought a light kit yeah. <laughs> when I was in my twenties, like a K1 that was in like a suitcase, completely pointless. I know. I mean, look, I've got, I've still got the giant ring light <laughs> that now at least more condensed that I, I don't have to use all of the umbrellas to get it because most of my stuff is going to be at an angle where that's going to be beneficial. I think that if you go, if you, most of the, um, if, if it rains in New York City and you go out, most of the umbrellas people are using are from old light kits because they, are they really have to, use, they have to recycle them somehow. They're not, not going to throw them away. I, I guess I don't need this anymore. This wasn't a waste of money, I swear. Yeah, it protects me from the rain now. <laughs> I think the thing about TikTok too is that you scroll through so many videos and you see so many that aren't talented people and that, you know, I get it. There are a billion videos out there that it's easy to write it off, but then you see someone who is really gifted at- Just masters it. Right. I mean, either the, the editing or the ability to condense humor, it's like, it is a lot easier to write a five minute joke than to write a one minute joke because yeah, you can fill it in with whatever you need. Getting all of your points in there so tight is a really big challenge. And honestly, but oh man, I 
just that everything I say just twists the knife and how into how old I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like that that whole language of making TikToks of playing of doing both parts of a conversation in rapid succession. Yeah. It's like that that takes a certain level of skill to do that. It is. I've done a few of those and not very well. Uh, <laughs> you know, I can I can watch them back and I can see the flaws in in my delivery and my angle and I can see how it can be done better. But I don't know how to do that yet. I cheated. I have a twin brother, so I could use. Yeah. <laughs> Just prestiging your way through TikTok. Yeah. Look, we're in this for the long con. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a lot of skill here. And occasionally you'll see a video that shows how they did the video. And it's done just as quick. But because they, this is, you know, second nature after you've done a thousand of these. And the the camera flips and the pauses and the stops and the cut twos are just instantaneous. I saw a list. I think it was BuzzFeed had a list of like the five, the five most uh, revolutionary edits for modern comedy. Oh, and yeah. And it was like a list of like the mid-screen edit like right like the, I, jesus i can't even think of the names but like different techniques and cutting uh micro comedy right uh, and it was so edu- it was so educational for me where it was like no no comedy is when you set up the game of the scene in the first page and then it's five minutes of that until right. everyone's tired and then they complain about it online the next day yeah right oh man they had the the final finale of snl now it's going to be when this comes out a few months you know a month or so ago but it was this past saturday and they literally started off with just like a highlight thing of just talking about the year and one was just hey remember when a fly landed on mike pence's head and we wrote a 15 minute sketch about that that's right. what this year was like yeah. <laughs> no i and i remember that that too obviously the fly thing i remember because that was of course all over twitter where you know we're so active and there were some good jokes and also some good photo edits that day that captured it they they covered it yeah that, that fly is a cast member now too right <laughs> but then they turned it into this long sketch and it was like oh we don't need this this one is is done. So real quick, let me cut back to... Yeah, let's go back to the history. What we as a podcast are all about. Because we've got a a few generations I want to mention because I want to cover the other side of this too. So I think we had GI generation. You've got the silent generation, 1928 to 1945. We'll never know what they were about. Yeah. So they were too young to fight in World War II. They were too old for the hippie period. So I looked up why they were called the silent generation because this seemed to be one of the stranger names. And it it was like the most hurtful nickname. (laughs) It was called the silent generation because of their conformist tendency tendencies and belief that following the rules was the ticket to success. So it was like they're the silent generation because they made no effort to do anything significant. Sure. They made no way. No noise was made when they came on the scene. They were just a bunch of nerds. But can't you just be born and then live and then just die? <laughs> but for the most part, they were right. They're living right after World War II. America has this immense power at this point. Everyone's got a job. That's what. That's all they had to do. It was remarkably easy. <laughs> I mean, for certain people people, it was remarkably easy. <laughs> that's definitely an important thing to point out. You're right. That's a, a really important distinction, but that's who the generations are named after, too. It's discussed as if this encapsulates everybody, but it absolutely doesn't. And this is a point that we're going to get to in a second, too, that the way generations are considered is very relevant to other factors in your life. But we'll get to that in a minute, because you've also got baby boomers who are going to be a point of discussion today from 1946 to 1964. And what's interesting here was that they were born during an economic boom. Obviously, that's where the name came from following World War II. And a lot of the stereotypes are accurate, but it only applies to a section of them because there also includes the hippie generation that processed Vietnam and participated in the civil rights movement. You have a lot of people in the boomer generation that significantly contributed to change. You just also have those that greatly benefited from it that don't understand why things aren't done the same way now, uh, which is a tendency of every generation to it was better when I was a kid and 
it wasn't, it was enjoyable because you were a kid. Right. I think that that was one of the uh, piece I remember that John Oliver did when he was at The Daily Show, where he took uh, clips from news pundits on Fox talking about like, why is everything so terrible now? It was much better when I was a kid. And then he took each of those anchors and was like, okay, when was that anchor a kid? Oh, in the 50s, in the 60s. And then spoke to somebody who was, where everything wasn't fine. And then I think the, the conclusion of the piece was, of course, everything was better when you were a kid because you were a kid. Right. I, I think it's the same way as, as like if you said, oh, popsicles in the summer were better when I was a kid. And it was like, they didn't change the popsicle recipe. It's that you were a kid in summer eating a popsicle. Nothing is going to compare to that now. Andrew's right. We should change the popsicle recipe. <laughs> you didn't realize you could die yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you also then after this have the appearance of Generation X, 1965 to 80. And these were the ones that were teenagers during the AIDS e- epidemic. I just want to make sure before you continue with Gen X that you're going to be playing Pearl Jam's Even Flow underneath. And we can't get the rights to that. That's way too expensive. Right. I'll just, I'll send you my own version of it. Yeah. <laughs> we had a whole grunge episode. We didn't use a single licensed song. It was- Not even Man in the Box. I know. I, that was disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> and Gen X, what's interesting was when they talk about generations, what's significant often is what period they were a teenager during. Gen X was a teenager during the AIDS epidemic at the end of the Cold War. And X came from their desire not to be defined. After that, they... <laughs> I do find it interesting that they just stuck with it. They did X and then millennials are also generation Y. It's like you start at the end of the alphabet. This is only good for three generations. Why would why would you start the system here and then keep it going? So millennials are 1981 to 1996. They were teenagers during the rise of the internet, September 11th and the war that followed uh, and is still going. Generation Z is 1997 to 2012. This is the first generation born with the internet and they're far more connected and technology-based existence, obviously, which I think is, is fantastic that this advantage and I, I think that's something that again we're going to cover more too there also is now generation alpha they just started over in greek yeah but they're just uh iridescent orbs yeah <laughs> they've evolved past the need for a physical body yeah <laughs> realize that we had there is a generation after generation z already that's interesting that they went with an a word so i guess they're going to stick with the yeah. alpha thing yeah you would think this would be generation w right <laughs> <laughs> skip around yeah you know what we're doing q yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we already have Generation Q. That's the baby boomers. Oh, right. Sorry. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> roasted them. <laughs> People who don't download this podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Now we have to edit out all the air horns that one is blowing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and Generation Alpha, yeah, I mean, there, there's actually some debate whether or not this name is going to stick, but it's 2013 on. This is the first generation born entirely in the new millennium. And this was a number that was fascinating to me. At the current birth rate, they're expected to reach 2 billion in size by 2025, which is also, I guess, the prediction of when this generation is going to end and we're going to have to start the next one. Maybe they, they can fulfill my dream of being swarmed by uh, things and then when they uh, unswarm, I'm a skeleton. <laughs> I think that's how I want to die. I don't care what it's a swarm of, but... How I want to die is I want to be like in the mummy. No, yeah, that was fantastic. Sure. It was it was horrifying. It's like a thirteen year old seeing it. But <laughs> <laughs> and then your parents were like, "That's how, it happens to all of us. That's how everybody dies." Yeah, that that's nature. Yeah. If you're lucky, you get to pick what swarms you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm going to teach my kids. <laughs> pick what swarms you. <laughs> I honestly, I love that line. Pick what swarms you. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, and then your last words. Your kids are like, "What? Yeah. Is that? What? Marshmallows? Why did he just say piranha?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. 
They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. So one of the other interesting things here was that terms in other countries often focus more on landmark moments rather than just like, hey, let's pick a letter. Like those born in South Africa after 1994, after apartheid ended, are often referred to as the born free generation. Uh, In Romania, those born in 89 are the revolution generation for when communism fell in the extremely violent revolution that ended the regime of Ceausescu, which again makes sense when you consider like, how could the Romanian revolution not have been life-changing for for everyone born after that? Your life, the the life that you're going to experience is nothing like your parents at this point. Mm -hmm. You're living in a completely different world from that. That's what makes the generation gap so ripe for comedy. (laughs) It's a time, it seems it's so cheesy to have to say, but like that's, there there is never going to be a bridgeable gap in generations, even though it it seems to me that and I was talking, one reason why I'm so much fun at parties and get-togethers is because I say things like this, but I remember talking to to who, people that I would call my friends, and I said I feel like the generation gap that I feel between me and my parents is the same gap I feel when I talk to like a twenty eight year old now. Yeah, <laughs> like, I feel like I feel like when I talk to like a twenty eight year old to them, I sound like when I was a kid, the Rugrats were two dimensional. Right. <laughs> I'll say though, like the best piece written about the entire thing is just Grandpa Simpson doing the whole "I used to be with it." speech for sure yeah. <laughs> they changed what it I was. used to be with it but then they changed what it was and now what i am with isn't it and what it seems weird and scary to me and that is true <laughs> for every generation forever <laughs> sure and then we are all we're all yelling at clouds yeah <laughs> well and and to daniel's point too about there doesn't necessarily have to be a large gap between the ages for it to feel like it's a completely different world uh is so significant now because largely because of the advance of technology that what we're experiencing and then you add in drastic social change and how much it's affecting you when you're at an age where you're able to control your life and drastic social change when you're still under the control of your parents, it doesn't really matter if that's just a four-year gap. What you went through is extremely different. For sure. And whereas Zoomers are more enticed by social change, millennials were more enticed by companies with ping pong tables. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, different different uh, defining characteristics of each generation. That and the, and the stereotypes behind that are interesting too. And, and there's there's a lot that, that plays into this level of development. And once this started developing as a theory, a sociologist advanced it well, Carl Mannheim in particular. And in 1923, he suggested there had been two primary schools of thought, positivists that just measured social change in lifespan and the romantic historical school, which focused on the qualitative experience. Man, that'd be a cool school to go to. <laughs> the romantic historical school. Yeah. It's, everyone is super dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Lincoln hot. Yeah. <laughs> this is just clone high. Great show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm psyched for that. God, I hate that when you have a great idea. Yeah, and then yeah. you realize, no, that's already a what thing. What if there was a rat chef? <laughs> <laughs> 
I was working on a, a show concept with a friend recently and literally everything we came back to, we said, is that that's Finding Nemo. We just did Finding Nemo again. <laughs> <laughs> Kids get lost all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, Nemo is not a fish anymore, but everyone else is still fish. Yeah. <laughs> the fish dad is now looking for a human child. It's a bunch of fish looking for one human. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the kids underwater somewhere. 70% of the year. It's a good chance that the kids underwater. Just making sure, is the kid dead? Because that is, that's a twist. That's a twist on the formula. The point, the point is, is that he's underwater. We're still in concept here. That's that, that's going to be figured out in post. We can take studio uh, notes. Well, if you want the kid to be dead, the kid will be dead. No, that's not what we're saying. We don't want the kid to, look, I mean, if you want the kid to be dead, I'll kill the kid. Look, if you think it's, the kid uh, being dead will sell more tickets, the kid's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Just a horrifying <laughs> Finding Nemo Ratatouille crossover where he just cooks Nemo. <laughs> got oh terribly dark <laughs> yeah and then it, the, the rest of the movie is just them having a an intellectual discussion about the worth of different animals intellects <laughs> so a rat can aspire to have human jobs <laughs> the meat that the rat cooks no those yeah are, those not are the same foolish animals that yeah are not sure. deserving of their life so this is <laughs> aristotelian disney seems to yeah. be the goal that we're going for here hey anything to stick it to those goddamn aristocats <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. <laughs> Quick definition of romantic historical school, though, though I like ours better. <laughs> so the, the, there's focus focused on the qualitative experience, but at the expense of social context. And Mannheim emphasized that the rapidity of social change in youth was key to the formation of generations and that not every generation would come to see itself as distinct because of this. In periods of rapid social change, a generation would be much more likely to develop a cohesive character. And he also believed that distinct sub-generations could exist. So he identified three commonalities that form a generation. Shared temporal location, which is just physical place. Shared historical location, which is time period. And shared sociocultural location, which he was defined as a generational consciousness, but it's experiential. It's, it's You've gone through something related here. Yeah, I guess, I guess I've always thought of generations just like this span of time. But yeah, definitely like if you didn't grow up like I did when I was a kid when 9-11 happened. And like, so I just had that shared cultural experience with everyone in my generation. But if I talk to somebody who is in a different country, like we we have no generational thing to talk about that this means nothing though unless they have a, uh, a side part then we do that we do that uh, Marx Brothers thing where we do the mirror the fake mirror image yeah, <laughs> just that duck soup yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think something that's not considered here too is that millennial isn't a universal term this is something used primarily in America and other English speaking countries might use it but not necessarily as heavily either that this it just doesn't apply to everybody and this ties in well to the history of it because by the beginning of the 20th century European intellectual thought of the world in generational terms, though essentially just youthful rebellion and emancipation, because right before this, your experience was in your village. Generation wasn't as significant because those around you that you saw every day was the height of your experience. It wasn't until the Industrial Revolution uh, and, and the advancement of newspaper becoming so significant that the world got smaller. Suddenly, you might relate with your entire country. They had not advanced to a stage of, of potentially relating and understanding those of the entire world, and obviously we're still quite a ways from that ourselves. But generation was much less significant when it applied to maybe the 300 people that live around you. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, the kids have more in common, but it's still just this village. That That's it. There's an old man on, in a tower in the mountains and nobody knows what he does or what he's conspiring to do in that tower. That's that's the news of the day. What else is there? Right. <laughs> yeah, there haven't been huge advances in pen and paper. So like, where's the right. delineation point? <laughs> 
that's where you're wrong with. <laughs> so you guys haven't had gotten the 2021 pens? <laughs> <laughs> I remember being a kid when they had that. Remember the multicolored pens where you could pop one out at a time? I apparently I, you guys weren't as obsessed with these as I were. The first computers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when did you have these? Yes. Uh, yeah, I had these. How are you not? Okay, I guess I was just more excited about these than, than you guys were as a kid. This was a significant part of my childhood. <laughs> my childhood was all about gel pins, baby. Oh People yeah. Were going fucking gangbusters yeah. for gel. Pins. <laughs> it was pretty quick in my uh, my childhood between everybody should get gel pens too. The gel pens cause cancer, and then <laughs> well, they were what were they were they milky pens? The people ugh, what a nineteen Madisons from my class. I need to check up on if that's the case. Those, <laughs> those ladies live for gel pens. Sure, I think I, I remember some kid uh, explaining that if you write on your skin with it, it's probably bad for your for your blood. And I believe anything a child tells me. So. Right? Are we just going with things that parents probably? said to keep us from doing things because if if so uh you're not allowed to use too much conditioner or else you'll lose your my mom used a lot of like you'll lose your hair as her threats for everything (laughs) if you sit too close to the television you lose your hair (laughs) yeah my granddad was bald i didn't want to be bald and so she used the threat of losing our hair for every single thing like she was gonna like if if you don't eat your vegetables i'm gonna make you lose your hair she didn't say she would do it but she like she just kind of put it as just like a look this is what these are the steps you need to do to keep from losing your hair mm-hmm. and it worked i i followed so many i was a i was such a loser i followed every rule so yeah there was there was a kid who didn't look both ways before crossing the street and he got hit by a a, a truck lost all his hair he's bald now yeah. <laughs> don't believe me that man's name was dwight d eisenhower <laughs> wow. i just assumed that you were going to say he's a skull now in a casket yeah he was bald <laughs> I mean, it worked, though. You still got hair. So, you know, maybe mom was right. It's going back as time goes on. The hairline is, is running away. <laughs> Send me some of that hair. Well, so that is is roughly the. I know I like the way we jump around in history like this, by the way. But but that was roughly it because it was just very the same thing it was them slowly realizing, oh, my God, there's something different here uh, because the world was growing quickly uh, and kids were suddenly allowed to be kids. They saw the significant change in them. It started to be a point of study. Boss babies were becoming a thing of the past. Yeah. Well, and, and then they figured, OK, well, we got to name them, I guess, which became just a significant boon for advertisers. That was who benefited the most from the naming of generations. Sociologists yeah. loved it. Advertisers went fucking nuts uh, because it allowed them to target very specifically because sociologists were doing the work for them. They were finding out who had things in common. And then they figured, oh, OK, cool. So we can just market just to this age range because they're the ones most likely to be interested. So, you know, good job, science, uh, <laughs> for making advertisers job easier. Finally, science and advertising is teaming up. <laughs> I just can't imagine being the ad man who's just like, all right, so this generation grew up during the AIDS epidemic. How do we get them to eat Lucky Charms? Yeah. <laughs> Keep in mind, there are only wrong answers. <laughs> also, we're going to start at Gen X. Are you sure you want to start at X? <laughs> I, I just love the complete lack of, I mean, I realize it was for a different reason. It was really those that named Gen Y that I had the issue with. But Gen X, it was for, it was supposed to be X. It was, but then it was like, oh, let's just stick with the alphabet. And it was like, well, cool. It was, I mean, they're going to be dead by the time they get to Z. So it doesn't matter. They just left it to the next generation. That honestly is a great metaphor for this issue overall. I was like how yeah, how it was just like, you'll be Gen Y. And we'll be like, we got it from here. We're millennials. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's going to play well. We're going to leave that in. 
we're going to cut it and put it in every four to five minutes. <laughs> and just not a laugh. Like it didn't work and you keep trying it. I, I think we've got a joke in the last episode that we put out where I said, oh, that didn't work. I tried it twice because I wasn't sure it was heard the first time. And I said to Wen, let's make sure we cut that. And then I did not tell our editor to cut it. <laughs> so we're, we're going to have that out there. <laughs> so that is is essentially the history of Generations as a concept, uh, what each one was significant to. So Daniel, where did it go wrong? Basically, things started to get pretty bad when I was born. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the, what that's what historians use to say when things start getting bad. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. There's A A D stands for after Dan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> second worst show I've ever said. Uh, I don't know. It, it's weird because I I feel like when I say here's where it went wrong, it makes it sound like I thought millennials were super great until blank event happened. But I think basically what happened is that a enough time had passed where you realized that promises that were made for a generation were uh, were not delivered. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, things were much worse. And then the other event was that uh, Zoomers happened and we were we came face to face with those stereotypes and with the trappings of our own generation and how it relates to them. And I'm sorry. That that we are to Zoomers what boomers are to us. For sure. See, you're saying that, but there was a whole generation. We pretend that Gen X just doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> we pretend like it was baby boomers, then us. For sure. I've seen so many like memes where it's just Gen Xers just like eating popcorn and watching millennials and boomers fight right. while even slow <laughs> plays in the background. It's weird because Gen X is the ones that set up, they're the ones that gave us the participation trophies that boomers are so mad about. Like we didn't ask for the trophies. I feel like older people think that that younger people care way more about trophies. I, I don't think I've I don't think I've ever gave a shit about a physical trophy. Every time I ever got a trophy for coming in third place, I was like, fuck you. You're <laughs> mocking me. It's so shameful. I would I would love to not have gotten a participant trophy. And here's one that was a take on that was interesting too, where they said because they received trophies, it was so much less significant to them that they required significant praise to take it as sincere. That someone telling them they did it they had lower self-esteem because of it. Someone telling them they did a good job meant nothing because they were told they did a good job whether or not they did. I think that generations were named and um, you're talking about uh, sociologists and, and uh, ad men. I think that it's mostly the trophy lobby. Yeah. The trophy <laughs> yeah. I think that they follow the trophies is all I'm saying. They're the ones that really made out in this. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm far more bothered by the stereotypes of millennials, mostly because the ones that are biggest, ones that get the articles written about them aren't true. You know, they're the claims of boomers, of millennials not working as hard, but we're the generation that saw the end of the nine to five workday. I don't know about you guys, but I don't get benefits for anything. And I'm on call all the time. <laughs> if something needs to get done, I get it done then. I, I've been pretty lucky recently with that stuff, but it's a, it's a new feeling. And it's the same as what I said about the internet, where sometimes I just marvel that I get to live in the luxury of like the bare minimum of what my parents had. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's not that I, I don't enjoy the work either, but those that are, are working freelancer, as you said, permalance, you know, we're in fact working more most of the time. It's just we're, we're most of us are aren't swinging an axe, you know? Sure, but we do it at bars to unwind. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think part of the issue too is that a lot of the stereotypes apply to those that are already privileged. There are plenty of people that are still swinging an axe. There are plenty of people that are doing hard manual 
labor. And those that are complaining, it's, it's well, either you did that as a kid and there are still those that are doing them or you didn't do it. And what is your complaint here? Because there are still people doing them. And of course, now the highest educated generation. But I mean, the average cost of college since boomers went to school has jumped 3,009%. The average millennial owes over 35,000 in student debt, which was twice what a house cost 50 years ago. And today the cost of a house has jumped 1,600%. Which is something that I wish more boomers knew. Yeah, I just don't think people understand the idea of inflation, where it's just like, look, I flipped burgers for $3 an hour. And it's just like, do you know how much $3 was worth? It was worth 17 of my dollars. Right. And and I, I think that's it. And that, that is a constant number that, that I, I don't want to get into too many of the numbers because there are a lot of them. And honestly, they're infuriating. How many numbers could there be? Like eight? <laughs> Well, but but just the the number of the, the level of inflation, how it doesn't match with what's of cost to what people are getting paid now, to what they paid for college, to uh, how much a house cost, uh, to the hours they work in a day. But now millennials hold 4.8% of all wealth at the same age as the oldest millennials. Boomers had 21%. And not only is that a significant increase from 4.8, we actually only have 2.8 because Mark Zuckerberg holds 2% of all millennial wealth. Jesus Christ, <laughs> is that true? Yes, he's got almost half of all of the millennial wealth. It's insane how I just, uh, like you said that, and I was like, yeah, that sounds right. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that is, I'm going to just stare at the ceiling for, for hours today. And one of the, the big things that I'm going to get into the, the concept rather than the numbers is because a lot of the stereotypes revolve around the conceptualization of this. They, they say millennials job hop. Statistically, that's actually not true. We move around about the same amount as boomers did. But the thing is, boomers could get a job they were dissatisfied with, with the realization or the knowledge that if they did this job, they would be able to put food on the table. They would be able to retire at 65. They'd be able to own a house. So when they say millennials don't want to work, it was like, no, what, what you worked for, we're okay doing jobs we don't like. Every job has a part of it you dislike. But when you realize the reward isn't even enough that you can get a studio apartment, of course you have to be looking for something different. And it's these facts where, where the, the issues are lost that most of the millennial stereotypes coming from boomers aren't true. And I think where it went wrong here for millennials is that the stereotypes from Zoomers are about us are absolutely for true. Sure. Yeah. They're so and true. they're devastating. <laughs> they're devastating and cutting and irrefutable and there's nothing you could, there's you, all, all you can do is apologize and, and, cha and change. I'm sitting here with a fucking side part right now. <laughs> you pull it off. <laughs> and, and they would, the thing is, it was funny. They came out with these TikTok videos that that were devastating because of just how true they were about, I know you mentioned the one <laughs> just mocking millennials as the, oh, I'm a Hufflepuff. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, man, we, we did that. We did have the side part and they were good. To be fair, I did stop doing that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Most of us have gotten past After it. After you saw that TikTok video, you were probably like, I got to stop doing this. doesn't matter whether it was before or after I saw the TikTok video. The point is, is that I stopped doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. Uh, and some of them were good and they were accurate. The only problem was the millennials that got mad about it and it was like are you are you really upset that a kid doesn't like your haircut yeah for sure it's <laughs> that's and that's the saddest thing that the people making video replies being like oh you think you think you know all about me if you're you're absolutely right and i'm sorry <laughs> who is the audience of your haircut yeah <laughs> yeah the people who like, are trying to defend things and being like guess what skinny jeans are still cool and so the things <laughs> can be for you right and 
I think that's something that that ties into the discussion of cancel culture too, which I know we've covered here before as something that we don't really believe in as, as a thing. But it's this expectation that if everyone doesn't like your thing, you're being canceled. And I was like, no, you you ha- have an audience. And you know what? We're millennials and a lot of Gen Z think our stuff is stupid <laughs> and that's okay. And it's okay that we don't like their stuff too, but we're not superior because we don't like it. And that's it too. Is like, honestly, you should take a minute and watch some of this because it's some good shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, th- I also think, um, I mean, if, if we're getting into it about where, where I think millennials went wrong and trying to pinpoint exactly what I felt, I, I, I think it was pretty late in the game where we were like, oh, I guess we're millennials. Like, first, I thought we were seensters and I thought we were hipsters, but now I guess we're millennials, yeah. uh, which is crazy because the millennial was like the 90s were 10 years ago, the 80s were 20 years ago. Right. But, uh, it was just like, I think the biggest vice of millennials as a whole is that like extreme self-indulgence that I don't see in Zoomers, where Gen Z is just so hyper aware of inclusivity on a plane that's so much more evolved and advanced. And I, I went to, I wanted to study fonts and I wanted to, to be in mountains of student debt because I wanted a font degree. But I went to art school and I was like, oh, art school, huh? Yeah, like it's finally my people, people who are evolved, intellectually evolved and can talk about certain things. And Zoomers are so far advanced and their communication skills and their intellects and like how they're able to talk about uh, about the world because they have all the information. Right. They have all the information and they're also, I think, at a time where they were taught far too young, if we don't do it, nobody's going to, which is a, a shame that was put on kids. One thing that blew my mind uh, when I would still venture onto the subway was uh, I saw in the before time, I, I was going to work and I saw a child reading a big book that was called Careers in Conservationism. Wow. And it was like when I was was a kid i read calvin and hobbes comics yeah and, and thought about how i uh, may, would maybe just become a rock star yeah <laughs> there, was no, there was no like incentive to be okay guys let's all band together and try to figure this thing out because no one else is going to do it and if we don't do it we are completely and utterly fucked so the only thing that we can do and it's weird because I, and i don't like as an old person it's easy for me to say okay please save us gen z you're all smarter and better like if you watch tech talk you'd say like oh they're still kids and when you're a kid, you're the most embarrassing you will ever be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> They're still acting like kids, but it's this weird, like evolved future kid that is still more equipped to deal with the like the weight of the universe in ways that I was never prepared for. Right. And I think that's that's a, a, a really important point is that they're taught this so young and they're going through so much extreme things. And I, I think the difference is that not that we didn't go through our, our own issues. Of, of course, we, we did, whether or not they were social or personal. But when you have access to the whole world and you're trained in this, I mean, look, when you're a kid and you have school shooter drills, this is something where you're, you're made aware very young. And you have parents that know the internet now, but not as well as you at 10, you're going to find this stuff on your own because you're going to do a better job. Like I remember being on the internet as a kid and feeling genuinely disturbed. Like it was a room I was not supposed to be in. Yeah. Like there were corners <laughs> of the internet where I was like, I am not supposed to be on this website and I feel bad. I was mostly on Neopets, honestly. That took up a good <laughs> chunk of my time. Yeah. But like every other day in middle school and like early high school, someone would tell me about a website that they're just like, Hey, have you heard of this? You can see dead bodies. I'm yeah. like, why the right. fuck? Quit wasting your time 
time with fake murders when you could just see a real one. Right. <laughs> Why are you all watching snuff films? Yeah. It's just like, honestly, how is our generation not even more fucked up? Like, I'm glad that things are like kind of siphoned off <laughs> into like five apps that are keeping people safe. Because when it was us, it was just like, yeah, just start typing things and see where you end up. <laughs> yes. Smash that keyboard and have poison put into your eyes. Exactly. That, no, I'm I'm deleting everything that's not calculator. It's just not worth it. <laughs> I also think um, I remember some form of optimism when I was a kid uh, that was almost in the in the wave of like I graduated college. Uh, Obama was president. All the music was about introspection and being sad because you wanted a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And there was this whole like, mis- like I, I think I, I was talking to uh, you, Andrew, about how I watched the WeWork documentary. Yeah. And it was such like a time stamped, like a time capsule of uh, there was a, one specific scene where there was a montage of it was cycling through the people in the WeWork and they all said the name of the startup that they were working on and it was just nonsense words right. like it was all the things that don't exist anymore and then the, the creator of we work was like we want to change the me generation into the we generation but it was still the me generation just in a room where everybody else could see how me you were yeah. right <laughs> there was this weird like the currency of idiosyncratic like a uh, esotericness like you had to be like a singular celebrity and you had to get into the ground floor of whatever applet you were making that had a cool name without any vowels in it <laughs> it was under the guise of this like communal law we're all fixing things together but it is in, it pales in comparison to like the actual social incentives that zoomers have to contend with and it's like nobody wants to just when i was a kid we would just sit around and talk about where we were on 9-11 and no one wants to do that with me anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was just watching this documentary the other night this 1971 documentary about all the music they came out just in the year 1971. And uh, one thing that they focused on was the who, you know, we won't get fooled again and how that was an anthem about how like they were tricked into Vietnam by the government and they're not going to ever let that happen again. And then I was like, wow, time is cyclical because they were in <laughs> fact fooled again not right. long after. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very quickly. The next big conflict was you getting fooled again. <laughs> it is weird because like every trend in pop culture and generationally moves in those kind of like warped cycles where it's it's a version of what what happened already but in this weird specially tinged version of it or like there are so many weird relationships that i can absorb that i feel like one thing i've noticed about the next generation is their relationship with companies where like we, we were kind of in between there was gen x it was like no corporate branding i'm not i'm not the clothes that i wear i'm an individual person and it has nothing to do with the corporation and then millennials were like what if corporations were families right. we can all <laughs> hang out together and the place i work is also my arrest and a gym and where my bed is and no health benefits. And then I, I feel like Gen Z is kind of like, yeah, I, I like my brands because I can tweet at my brands and then I'll get stuff from the brands. Like it, it seems that like they've like there's been some kind of weird agreement where it's not like it's somewhere in between the complete like fetishization of brands as family and rejecting all those things. It's a new relationship. It's the most aware of consumerism that any generation has been. It was like, yeah, I'm still going to buy stuff. I don't have to respect people selling it to me, <laughs> but I need the stuff. So this is what our relationship is. They're with, they're here because they want my money. I want their stuff. And the other ones, we had to pretend that they were, yeah, as you said, our friends or our family. Yeah. It's this weird, like capitalistic hedonism where like everything had to be like a weird familial thing. Right. And I mean, I, I know of people running a number of these brand accounts and some of them are, are very good people. And obviously Stakeums uh, is very significant and run by Nathan Allenbach, who's doing a fantastic job. Insane. Insane how brands, how social media managers have like 
uh, it's such a like the, the whole sunny d thing <laughs> it's such like cool just the whole idea that we're just like wow wendy says fuck now yeah <laughs> but what was so cool about what nathan did with, with steakums was he said it outright he said look my job he said this from the account yeah. he said my job is to st- sell you steak sheets <laughs> that's why i'm here yeah. i will tell you interesting important things too but i'm here to sell you steak sheets <laughs> and i'm not gonna lie about that yeah and i think that that's that's fantastic because it, it it's true like there, there's you you are a human yeah. you're not like pretending to be a steakum and when 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 everybody who's gonna buy steakums is already buying steakums like what else can you do right and you know what he's done such a cool job because he also has talked about important science and social issues and, mm-hmm. and depression and mental health and i really love what he's done there but yeah it, there there are also other brands who, who have just learned from in the sense that like oh we we can be upfront about this in a way we know there's a person behind the account mm-hmm. we we know this is not a giant bottle of sunny delight tweeting at us <laughs> you know there's a, a person there in that case actually it is yeah. <laughs> there's that great brad evans and nick sorelli uh bit where they're the advertising guys who run the brands for otter pops and the tweets are all just right like, hi i'm otter pops and i have depression just like you the consumer the end <laughs> <laughs> But I think you're right. The awareness uh, of of it, and I think that's that's so much of what Gen Z has is, is awareness. They they understand where things stand, and either it's something they go with or something they rally against. But complacency is not a part of it, and I, I think that's very fascinating. It's something that we got a tail end of, uh, where we understand we we couldn't just stand for it, but we were also placated by you know ping pong tables yeah. <laughs> in our and workspace, yeah, mugs <laughs> with mustaches on them. We were very easily tricked, and you know what? The next <laughs> right. generation will realize yeah. that. Hey, we won't get fooled again. Look, yeah. <laughs> Zoomers are going to realize that they were easily tricked and that they're going to be like, well, Alpha will save us, surely. And Alpha's going to yeah. come in and just be like... And Alpha will call us from their Mars uh, habitat yeah. and be like, no, you guys can... Did you guys pick what swarms you yet? Yeah. No, look, the experience is different. How we're handling is different, but we're still people and history does just repeat itself. We're all going to do the same thing and we're going to get mad at the next generation for not doing it our way. And, you know, hopefully we can hold it off a bit longer. <laughs> It is weird where I kind of like, <laughs> even though I'm not my parents' age compared to like, I'm not so far. I'm not so old, guys. No, I, I'm I'm a couple of years older than someone in Gen Z. But the way that I look at them is in like, I don't quite understand what's going on. Maybe you guys want to do things a little differently. Or I'm just like, oh, you guys got it from here. Cool. I'm sorry. Uh, if I could be of any help, uh, let me know what I could do. And please uh, I'm over here reading anything, but you guys got you guys got this. I think that's the right attitude. That's got to be the healthiest way to approach getting older. Is not just be like the world should stop. It's scary to me. <laughs> We've gone into uh, you know the history of generations, where they come from, where it went wrong, and the fact that you know the world is scary to us now, and we just can't do anything about it. Uh, but now we have another segment, which is in their defense, where we have to defend uh, the thing that we've kind of been shitting on for this past. So, Dan, if you got a way to do it, feel free. We got a couple of Modest Mouse albums out of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. What did, what did millennials do? All I can think of are horrible stereotypes. I'm not going to say, like, avocado toast. I mean, we make pretty good avocado toast. Yeah, that's, I mean, credit where credit's due. It's yeah. <laughs> He's really perfected things to do with the avocados, and especially how to keep them fresh. You got to keep that seed in there. I watched a thing on this recently. Here's a hot tip, because they, they did a study where they determined what things actually helped keep the avocado from spoiling. The only 
only thing that made a significant difference, keeping it submerged underwater. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the main uh, criticism of avocados being so popular, right? Is that it uses like a massive amount of water, right? That, <laughs> well, is, is that the main criticism? Well, well, the main criticism is that it's uh, exorbitantly expensive. But I, I think a, a, a criticism of the popularity of avocados is that it's completely uh, wasteful with water and energy to produce that many avocados. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, I guess that's okay. So you're wasting even more water if you're trying to keep it fresh. But once you cut an avocado, put it underwater and it will take much longer to turn brown. Where the fuck do you keep your fridge, Andrew? What do you mean keep it underwater? Look, you get a bowl, you put the avocado, you fill it with water, you put the avocado in the bowl with water. That's it. That's all you have to do. Too many steps. And who am I supposed to pay to watch this bowl, Andrew? I have have places to go. It's got such high oil content that the water really doesn't get absorbed into it. Yeah, so do I. (laughs) (laughs) I love that as a sincere defense. I got oil content. (laughs) You don't think I got oil? I'm as good as you, avocado. Is this an in their defense? Are we still on that? Uh, uh, in our defense, I mean, I I think generationally, uh, we there were there were some good movies and, and albums that came out of millennial. It's a valid like it got some Interpol albums, got some TV on there. We had TV on the radio back then. Kids don't know that TV used to be on the radio. This this might this might be a stretch, but we're going to accept that as as millennials had some occasional good albums and a couple of movies that we like. We had The Office and. Uh, BuzzFeed listicles of the office, of which office character you are. <laughs> Open floor plans. That's actually, I hate those. Never mind. <laughs> oh, we went the wrong way. We're going to end it there. I want all my rooms to be different, damn it. Yeah. Andrew, what about you? What do you got? I want to take on the, the part that, that you mentioned specifically as where it went wrong for us becoming the boomers to Gen Z, which again, not all of us have done. I think we've done an okay job of just recognizing we're not cool. <laughs> I like how you were just like, accept us. We, we're great. We're the good millennials. We're the, the good ones by realizing we're terrible. There have been so many moments where, where somebody, I remember when hipsters started getting thrown around and it's kind of like the same when you said that the term generation used to be a relative term, you would describe someone in relation to you as a different generation, where hipster was just a word you would call someone else. Yeah. Right. You would be like, yeah, me and my friends are hipsters. It, would, it was only a, an inflammatory term. Right. And then it was like when someone would refer to me, it was like, no, I'm not a hipster. I just wear my skinny jeans to the Modest <laughs> Mouse concert after I finish my job as a graphic designer. Like, it, it became insane like how cookie cutter those tropes became. Yeah. Right. And yeah, surprisingly fitting too. So it's just that nobody wants to accept that they've stopped being cool. I understand the pushback. I don't like that they did the pushback because, and here's the big problem, is that they did the pushback on TikTok and Gen Z is significantly better at TikTok than we are. Don't make videos complaining about that. That's on the other side of this, but don't make videos about Gen Z making fun of you because on TikTok, because they're going to crush you at it. But I think ultimately it's like you said in the beginning, nobody wants to face their own mortality. This is a tough realization. My knees hurt all the time, man. It's tough enough as it is. And realizing that Gen Z is aware of all the most embarrassing things we've done in our lives. I feel like millennials had this whole time of of figuring it out. And while we were figuring it out, Gen Z was just like, oh, I could, I know how to do this. Right. So there, are a lot of, there are a lot of millennials I know who were just still like, well, I'll figure it out when I'm a grown up. But right. the Gen Zs are, are already grown ups. They were born grown ups. Yeah. <laughs> so it, in their defense, I get it. You want want to resist being uncool. Uh, and so I, I can't fault you too much for, for that desire. It's the uh, flaw was just in the execution where you tried to take it out on Gen Z and videos instead of just realizing that, you know what, maybe you're not as cool as you thought you were. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you want to hear something cool, put on some good news for people who like bad news and just fucking vibe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
When? What have you got? So my defense of millennials getting older and becoming the baby boomer to Gen Z is we're all just looking at ourselves getting older every single day. We're a generation that actually documented ourselves probably more than anyone else. Like we put our photos everywhere. We have a whole thing on Facebook where it's just a montage of us just getting older every day. Some people made actual, people actually made montages of every day getting older for the span of an entire year or two years or three years. <laughs> and it's set to a song and people are like, isn't it fun watching this progression of time? It's like their smile just becoming a frown slowly. Exactly. Just, <laughs> just watching wrinkles come on faces, haircuts changing and whatnot. And we turned our entire lives into that montage where we're watching ourselves just turn to <laughs> dust and have it documented. And now there's a new generation coming along that says, yeah, you guys are turning to dust because now you actually have people posting themselves being young and youthful and saying phrases you don't know and pointing <laughs> to their arms, which you don't understand, but all the videos have them just pointing down and pointing at their arms. I realized later that they're doing the ice in my veins basketball thing, but they not using that meme. Is that what that is? I had no idea. <laughs> what is basketball? <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize they were doing ice in my veins because that is something that I would do as just a basketball term. And they've just kind of taken it and applied it to just kind of a generic pose that people do whenever they say anything. And it doesn't have the same meaning. Look, a lot of, let's be honest, a lot of our trends are stolen from Black people. Every big popular thing in both of our generations, that's something millennials and Gen Z can bond over. We both stole everything in the Black community and made it fun things that white people do on the internet. Yeah. We did it on YouTube. They're doing it on TikTok. <laughs> and now, uh, or we're just the first two generations that have com comprehensive it's just a basketball term. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like it's new. We did it with jazz it too, to uh, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's right now we've been, we've been keeping track of it. Not only that, but we named them the Utah Jazz. That's also a basketball <laughs> team that shouldn't exist. When you relocated from New Orleans, you should have renamed the team. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> what, music is, what music is from Utah? The Utah None. awkward silences. No. <laughs> Name yourself something else. Just Name Utah. yourself the Utah Golden Plates. I don't care. Just yeah. <laughs> don't be the Utah Jazz. But your, your commentary on the watching yourself age. So I'm here in Florida doing this recording, not by choice. It was something I had to do. And it is so hot. And I am sweaty and my hair is both big and flat at the same time. And I did not know that was a thing, but it's happening right in front of me. And I've been watching this whole recording, just looking at myself. And yeah, it's it's hard. You, you see these significant changes and it is painful to be like, I am now too old for heat. That's a tough thing. Like You got to remember, if you're in the older, if you're a Gen X or baby boomer, the only thing that you have reminding you of your mortality every day is if you like if you open up a photo album and went through, you're like, oh, yeah, I've gotten old. But we literally open up our phones and we have documented proof that yeah we have gotten significantly <laughs> older and it sucks to it sucks to admit that i'll go i'll be scrolling through instagram and i'll see somebody that i'm friends with and, I, and my brain will immediately go like man that person looks like a like a grown-up like yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's time time is passing for that guy what i'm saying is i understand our visceral reactions to gen z and that is my defense i will absolutely buy that and i mean i think that about covers it we we covered the history of generations as a concept which was surprisingly recent we covered our own 
experience as millennials and where it went wrong when we became the boomers to Gen Z. Is that about it? What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think we could die now. Yeah, I think we nailed it. I I think th- good. good job, us. <laughs> I'm happy I picked you guys to swarm me and turn me into a skeleton. At, at the least, we all get a participation trophy for this. I'm going to choose Piranha, personally. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Classic. That's a classic. Yank our run. I want to be lowered into a tank of Piranha, have them swarm me, and just leave my disgusting skeleton behind. <laughs> just skeleton with a side part and skinny jeans. <laughs> <laughs> One of your ribs somehow has a tattoo that says I'm I'm a Hufflepuff on it. <laughs> on my index finger is that little mustache that everyone got. Oh for a little God, bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I must ask you a question. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even. I, I I wanted to go on a whole rant about how much I hate internet meme early meme terms like doggo and pretty much just. Oh doggo God, yeah. Meme. That that's pretty much just. But yeah, I'm I, I get it. Well, we're that'll be a separate episode where we just talk about doggo. Great. Uh, <laughs> I feel like when you post this episode, uh, we should say. So, um, we made a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. All right. That's going to be the title. Daniel Spencer, thank you so much for joining us today. We absolutely appreciate it. It was so much fun. Guys, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps us out so much. Also, we'll have our Patreon down in the show notes, which helps us keep the show going. So please subscribe to that if you can. I realize we didn't have that on every past episode, but we just have to put it in from now. <laughs> I've been saying that for long longer we've been including it. So uh, if you could subscribe to that, it helps us out so much. It helps us keep the show going. We'll be back next week. We hope you'll join us then. When? I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.